Amen. Great to be with you all this morning. It's a great song to lead into our topic as we're going to be looking at uh, the life of Jonah in just a second. Uh, if you're like me, um, you're always looking for a bargain, you know, when you go shopping. I mean, why pay full price, right? Many stores have a clearance section with stuff that's at greatly reduced prices, and often the merchandise is marked with a special tag that says, as is. That's a euphemistic way of saying damaged goods, right? The store is giving you fair warning that these items are from the something's gone wrong department. There's a flaw, there's a zipper that doesn't zip, there's a stain, a broken button, something is not right. And they're not telling you what that flaw is. It's up to you to figure it out. And when you, don't, when you do, don't come whining to them later on about it because rule number one of the bargain table is no returns, no refunds, no exchanges. You take it as is. In his book, Everyone's Normal Until You Get to Know Them, eco-pastor John Ortberg writes that when you deal with human beings, you have to come to them as is. Think of all the people in your life, the ones that you know and love the best. Each person honestly, is slightly irregular, right? There's a little hint of laziness, a little bit of deception, kind of a cruel tongue every once in a while, maybe a temper, a temper that goes from zero to 60 too fast. There's something, a streak of selfishness. Each one of us should have a little tag on our shirts that says, as is, that warns people, you know, there's a flaw here. We're slightly damaged, and we can't always tell you what that damage is. You're going to have to find it out on your own. But if you expect me to be perfect, you're going to be disappointed. If you think you're going to be able to fix me, you're going to be frustrated. If you want to enter into a relationship with anyone, there's only one way to do it, and that's as is. So why does God love and use imperfect people? Because those are the only kind of people there are. The list of Bible characters that mess up, that are imperfect and, and flawed is very long. There are a lot of high-profile people in Scripture who should be wearing as-is tags. A lot of people who could have, you know, used a few sessions with, you know, Dr. Phil, Dr. Oz, Dr. Seuss, somebody like that, you know? Just think of the cast of characters in the Bible. Jacob was a cheater. Peter had a temper. David had an affair. Jonah ran from God. Paul was a murderer. Gideon was insecure. Miriam was a gossip. Martha was a worrier. Thomas was a doubter. Sarah was impatient, Elijah was moody, Moses stuttered, Zacchaeus was short, Abraham was old, Lazarus was dead. You know, what's your excuse? <laughs> this summer we're looking at a diverse assortment of imperfect people who are found in Scripture so that maybe your story will connect with their story because as the Bible says, all we like sheep have gone astray. Maybe you'll discover how much God loves you and desires to use you in this as-is world. Maybe you'll discover the incredible and I think very liberating truth, this truth about yourself that I am an imperfect person who is loved by a perfect God. So today we're taking a quick look at a very familiar person, Jonah. Now everybody knows Jonah. Even if you don't know anything about the Bible, you still know the story of Jonah because it's such a popular story with children, with Sunday school classes, preschool musicals, VeggieTales videos, you name it. But Jonah is not really a children's story. It's a very complex psychological and spiritual drama for grown-ups. What do you remember about Jonah? Well, he's called the reluctant prophet. God called him to go to the city of Nineveh and preach around the year 730 B.C. Nobody knows exactly the right time. Nineveh was in Assyria, which is where modern-day Iraq is right now. And Jonah was not thrilled about the assignment. Assyria was the arch enemy of God's people, and Jonah hated the people of Nineveh. 
everybody in Israel hated Nineveh. Number one enemy. God's call to go to Nineveh was crystal clear, but Jonah didn't want anything to do, didn't want the Ninevites to repent. He wanted God to smash them, crush them, obliterate them. So Jonah was very bigoted and sort of stubborn. Other prophets ran to God. Jonah runs away from God. Others preached with fervent zeal. Jonah wasn't motivated at all to preach. Somewhere his inner GPS got messed up. Uh, he was supposed to go east towards Nineveh. He gets on a ship, starts heading west towards Tarshish, which is as far west as you can possibly go. It's actually on the coast of Spain. It's sort of like, uh, it's sort of like if you were flying from Newark to, to London through Los Angeles. You know, it just doesn't make any sense for him to go in that direction. But off he goes. Well, you know what happened. Jonah never made it to Tarshish. God didn't give up on Jonah. There was a storm brewing, but not just in the Mediterranean. There was a storm in Jonah's heart as well. And when the ship was in danger of sinking, Jonah gets pitched overboard. Let's pick up the story now in Jonah chapter 1, starting with verse 17. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. And I said, I have been banished from your sight, and yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. And my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. Because salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah up on dry land. What a great story. Isn't that a great story? Jonah gets his head together in the digestive tract of a big fish. What a place to have a new beginning, right? Slopping around in gastric juice, seaweed, and sushi. But in the belly of this fish, Jonah has a chance to take a long, hard look at his short, rebellious life. Now God has Jonah's undivided attention, right? And boy, does he pray. I mean, he pray, maybe he really prays for the very first time. Just as there are no atheists in foxholes, there are no rebels in fish stomachs, right? So Jonah says in verse 2 that he found himself in the depths of the grave. The Hebrew term there is sheol, which really refers to the region of, of the damned or the, de of the dead. Jonah is admitting, I'm as good as dead here. But God heard his prayer, reached out, rescued him. Now, I know some people get hung up on Jonah being swallowed by the big fish. They dismiss the story as just a myth or a fairy tale. Didn't really happen. I kind of think it did. Historically, there are reports of sailors who were swallowed by whales and then who were recovered alive. There was a widely circulated newspaper story in February of 1891 about the Star of the East. It was a, a, a whaling ship from Liverpool, England. It was hunting whales off the South Atlantic near the Falkland Islands when one of their small boats was dragged under by the whale 
They eventually caught the whale, and as they were cutting it open and they got to the stomach, they were shocked to see something moving in, on the inside. They quickly sliced open the stomach and out poured one of their missing sailors, a guy named James Bartley. He was alive. He was delirious, almost dead, but he survived. Sir Francis Scott wrote of Bartley in the article, his skin, where it was exposed to the action of the gastric juices, his face, neck, and hands, were bleached to a deadly whiteness and took on the appearance of parchment and never recovered its natural appearance, though otherwise his health did not seem affected by his terrible experience. Now, could this be just a seaman's yarn? Possibly. Could it be just a Ripley's, you know, believe it or not, kind of sensationalism? Maybe. But could something similar have happened to Jonah? I think so. I think God is big enough to orchestrate and to command nature, big enough to orchestrate our circumstances any way he wants to, especially when he's trying to get our attention. I mean, that's what a miracle is. God sets aside what we call the laws of nature because he created those. He's not bound by our laws of nature. He can do with them whatever he pleases. And can you imagine Jonah coming into Nineveh with his skin and his hair all bleached white like that? That really would have gotten people's attention. As Jonah sank beneath the deep, everything seemed lost. If God had done nothing, Jonah's fate would have been sealed. Though deep in despair, he prays in verse 7, I remember you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you. Jonah prayed. He couldn't help it. He prays to the one that he knew personally, not some impersonal cosmic God. I mean, I know there's a bank across the street from the church if you go out there on South Street, but that doesn't make me rich. Just knowing that there's a bank across the street doesn't do anything for me unless I've got a, a personal account in the bank. I may know that God exists, but that does nothing for my life unless I have a relationship with him through faith in Christ. Just, just knowing that there's a God, that's not the same thing as being in relationship with him. God wants us to live in a daily connection with him, and that means he has a unique calling and purpose for each one of our lives, just as he did for Jonah. Not the same call as Jonah's, but God does have a unique purpose and calling for you and your life. Now, most of what Jonah prayed may have sounded familiar because it comes straight from the Psalms. It's, not much of it is original, and that's fine. Our prayers don't have to be creative. They just have to be sincere. And so we may turn away from God like Jonah, and as we move away, we begin to realize that we are sinking spiritually. The good news of the gospel is that God will not abandon us. Jonah was thrown off the ship, but he was never out of the protection of God's grace. We have the promise from Jesus in the Gospel of John chapter 6. He says, every person the Father gives me eventually comes running to me. And once that person is with me, I hold on and I will not let go. Jonah realists in God's service. Kind of renews his commitment to the prophetic office. Ends it with a song of thanksgiving. And it would be easy to kind of skip over those concluding words without understanding their deep implication. He admits in verse 9, salvation comes from the Lord or salvation belongs to the Lord. This is really the key theme of the entire Bible and the key verse in the book of Jonah. Salvation belongs to God. Salvation comes from God. Salvation is a God gift. God isn't obligated to save Jonah. He isn't obligated to give salvation to anyone, especially those who think they deserve it, those who think they've earned enough by their good works. No, salvation comes to those who realize how utterly lost they are, who realize how far apart from God they are, who, who have given up trying to run away, 
who've given up believing in their own abilities, their own good works. Salvation comes to those who realize they have a huge as-is tag around their necks. God wanted Jonah even with all his rebellious flaws. God loved Jonah even when Jonah ran from him. Jonah, God sought him out, brought him back, gave Jonah an undeserved new beginning. Do you know that about yourself? Do you know that your new beginning from God is a gift? It's undeserved, it's amazing, it's extravagant, simply because God loves you and desires to use you in this world. In some ways, we're all just a little bit like Jonah. God has a call in our lives, but the calls might be different, but it's the same God who is calling nevertheless. What have you done with God's call on your life? Have you dodged and ducked? Have you squirmed? Have you tried to go the other way? Have you tried to kind of resist what God might be calling you to do? I hope you don't wait to respond to God's call until you're being swallowed by your circumstances. If God can turn around a guy like Jonah, he can do it for you. God specializes in taking things that are confused and and broken and making them useful and beautiful. Are you responding to God's call on your life? Some people get confused about the message of the gospel. As I've said many times, the gospel message is not God loves you just as you are, period. That's only half the gospel. Some people see in God's love only uncritical acceptance. God affirms you. uh, God condones who you are. That kind of uncritical love that really requires nothing back from you. It's, It's totally one direction. So God loves you, period. What a relief. I can just keep doing what I'm doing. No changes, no repentance, no recognition of my sin, no acknowledgement of the ways that I've wandered from God, no recognition of my brokenness or how I've injured others, no understanding that my sin has consequences in my life and in the lives of other people. Friends, that is not the gospel. God loves you just as you are. That's the first half. And the second half is he loves you too much to let you stay that way. God loved Jonah as he ran away, but Jonah needed to turn around. He needed to surrender his life to God. He needed to change his behavior, needed to change his attitudes, needed to get back on the right path in obedience to the Lord. It would be cruel for God to say he loved us and then leave us us sitting in fish juice, right? God invites a response to him to make that new beginning in Jesus Christ. And just like with Jonah, God wants to minister to you so he can minister through you. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be a spiritual all-star. You just have to be open to responding to the call. Yield your will to his. Say, Lord, I'm ready for what you're calling me to do. What are we afraid of? The psychologist Abraham Maslow coined the phrase the Jonah complex to describe a particular kind of fear. He named it as the fear of actually reaching a better way of life of actually living up to your God-given potential. The Jonah complex, it's a way of kind of blocking your own destiny, of running away from life's best possibilities because people can fear responding to God because there is some inherent risk in the call. They believe it's kind of just more comfortable to just stay where you are because, you know, if you respond to God's call, that's always going to involve some degree of movement or action or risk. We fear the call of God because it conflicts with our preconceived agenda. You see, it's one thing to fear sort of the the low points of life, 
to fear where we could end up, you know, if we just kind of gave in to all our darker impulses or our, our persistent sins and struggles, if we just gave in to all those sinful passions and let them control us, you know, we, we can fear that. Most people work pretty hard to keep all those things kind of locked in the basement of our lives, right? What they're saying in the Jonah complex is that we fear being the best God could offer. We fear reaching our full potential in Christ, reaching for the things that might require greater courage on our part, greater daring, greater faith in what God is doing, greater sacrifice. The Jonah complex means trying to get away from where God is causing you to grow. It means turning away from God's direction because it might require a greater sense of responsibility for your life because in stepping out in faith, that is often the case. God brings responsibility into your life. I don't know how many times I've heard people say when asked to get involved in some ministry of the church, they'll say, I'll help, but I don't want to be in charge. I'll help, but I don't want to be in charge. That means I want to keep my options open. I don't want to be tied down. Something else might come up. I might get a different opportunity. There might be a better option. So I don't want to have my schedule so locked in because if you're in charge, well, then you can't just pawn it off on somebody else. If you're in charge, you accept the job as your calling, your responsibility, and people seem so reluctant to do that. The hesitancy among believers, among people who say they love Christ, this hesitancy to actually commit to a call really weakens the body of Christ. It weakens the church because people are hedging their bets and withholding their talents and their spiritual gifts. And that means there's a gap which other people are going to have to fill. It's like if you've ever watched collegiate or Olympic rowing. In the big races, you got a team of eight people, in the, eight rowers in the boat, one person called the coxswain who is calling out the rhythm. If one of the rowers just decides, you know, I'm not going to row, not only does that mean the others would have to row harder, but it actually would cripple the boat because the unused oar is going to get in the way of the other oars as they pull through the water. The rowers have got to work together. They have to pull together. Go back and read 1 Corinthians 12. The Apostle Paul talks about the church as a body, like the human body. All the parts are needed. I mean, you stub your toe or get a speck of sand in your eye, the whole body shuts down until those two things are taken care of, right? All parts are needed. All parts have to work together. And no one part can pass off their job to another part. The elbow can't say to the knee, take over, right? All parts are needed. But in the body of Christ, in the church these days, there seems to be kind of a laziness. And I don't mean a, a sitting on the couch binge watching Netflix kind of laziness. I mean almost like a cloud, a stupor, like a, a something that's induced where people are just under the sense of kind of a heavy inertia, where it just seems easier and more comfortable just to stay as is. Just stay as is, because that's more comfortable than to change. Ruts are actually very comfortable places to be, at least in the short term. Uh, it's always easier just to stay in your rut than to risk taking on something new. Always easier to stay put than to respond to God's call because God's call will require some momentum, some movement, some action in your life. Are you blocking God's call on your life? Are you going the wrong direction? Are you keeping yourself distracted just with busyness so that you don't really eat, you're not even able to hear God's call? Are you stuck in a rut? Are you sort of paralyzed spiritually? God finally got Jonah's undivided attention. It took a couple of days for Jonah to get his head together. So sometimes we need time to kind of listen for God's call 
to, to read the Bible, to meditate on what you read, to let God speak to you. If you don't know where to begin in reading the Bible, come see me right after the service and I will help you get started. But begin to pray and to pray daily. Listen for God's call and ask yourself, what would really happen if I responded to God's call? Would that mean, uh, what would it mean to make changes in the way that I think about my life, about my past, my future? Would it change my priorities? Would it change my anxieties? Would it change my activities? You bet it would. And how much richer and fuller would life could be if you knew you were really in sync with God's call upon your life? If you allowed God to give you a passion for others and a passion for the gospel, how exciting it would be to see God move through you into the lives of other people. You see, that's what Jonah actually missed. Even though he eventually went to Nineveh, he was obedient, he preached, he, he did see remarkable repentance. What he didn't do, though, was he didn't really enter into the joy that was in God's heart over the response of the people of Nineveh. Jonah still didn't share God's joy. He wasn't in tune with God's heart to see people forgiven. For him, this preaching, it was a duty, not a desire. A duty, not a desire. How sad. The story of Jonah actually ends on a sour note because ultimately, Jonah misses God's best opportunity for his life. He fulfilled his Jonah complex. He missed the joy. That's the sad part of the Jonah complex. You miss the joy. Marianne Williamson writes this about the Jonah complex. She said, our deepest fear is not that we're inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that frightens us. Don't fall victim to the Jonah complex. God is a specialist at taking what's confused and making it beautiful and useful. Throughout history, God has always used the least likely, the most unqualified. All he needs is availability and he'll do the rest. I want to end today with the words of Richard Halverson, former chaplain in the United States Senate. This is kind of the antidote to the Jonah complex, and these words are printed on the back of your bulletin if you want to take it home, put it on your refrigerator, take a picture of it with your cell phone, whatever works for you. But look at it this week. Look at these words and meditate on what they might mean for your life. Wherever you go, God is sending you. Wherever you are, God has put you there. He has a purpose in your being there. Christ who indwells you has something he wants to do through you. Believe this and go in his strength and love and power. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this reluctant prophet Jonah. Kind of teaches us in reverse of what we should or should not do, Lord. But we thankful, we're thankful that we have a call upon our lives, not the same call as Jonah's, but a unique call for each of us, gifted in our own individual ways, not trying to be like anybody else, but just responding to your gentle tap on the shoulder to say, come work for me. Come get involved in what I'm doing. Come help me build my kingdom. Right where you are right now in your workplace, your school, your home, your family, your community, your church, your environment, help me build the kingdom right there. And Lord, help to kick us out of our ruts if that's where we are. To find some motion, some action, some risk, and to be willing to follow you. And Lord, give us the joy, the joy of being in sync with you. We're thankful for that in Christ's name. Amen.